Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you. Just for all of you in person and just those joining online, if we haven't met, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. And today we're just continuing in our series we've been going through the, for the past few weeks uh, through this Lent season called The Seven Deadly Sins. Okay, and over the past few weeks, we've been looking at just different sins that have a way of gripping our hearts and kind of keeping us in bondage and keeping us from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us. Uh, and as we've been going through this series, hopefully one of the things that you've noticed, if you've been here or you've tuned in to, to other parts of this series, is that all of these sins that we're looking at so far are not private sins. That one of the lies maybe we even often tell ourselves when we think about this idea of sin and the way that it grips us is that it's nobody else's business, right? That it's the kind of, if it's the, especially if we think it's the kind of sin that doesn't harm anybody else. And this is often what we think about when we're looking at the sin that we're going to look at today, which is the sin of gluttony. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I look at this, the, the list of the seven deadly sins. One of my first thoughts is like, how did gluttony make it onto this list? Anyone else feel that way? Like, what's it doing there? Like, why is this sin of just eating too much on kind of the VIP list of the deadly sins? And further, I've often thought, maybe you have as well, but why is eating so, too much as even a sin to begin with? Right? Like we understand it's unhealthy for our bodies if we eat a little bit too much, but is there really more to it than that? Uh, but as we look at the sin of gluttony, we're going to see that not only is this sin something that can take root in our hearts in a way that hurts us spiritually and can kind of keep us in bondage, but that it's a sin that's not a private sin. And just like all sin, it's a sin that actually hurts us and can hurt other people. And similar, maybe even to if you were here last week, to the sin of sloth, as we think about the sin of gluttony, it also has this subtle way of getting into us that even leads to other sin in our lives. Uh, so, you know, as we get into this, when I think of the, the word gluttony and as I thought about this sin, uh, one thing that comes, that'll forever come to mind for me now is a competition that I watched on TV almost a year ago. Okay, it was a, a hot dog eating competition that happened on the 4th of July, and it happened to be playing on TSN, like a sports thing. I had a day off, and so I, I, you know, I saw the advertisement for it, and I invited all my daughters, like, hey, come watch this. It's going to be really cool. And, you know, I think forever it will be probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, if you've seen in a hot dog eating competition, it's crazy just the way that the whole thing is even glorified. Like, it's like people are introduced, these professional hot dog eating, uh, eaters who go around the world, who are introduced with, like, this epic music, and they're glorified, like, as if they're heroes. And then they, I won't even get into the technique of how they eat, but it's just, it's overwhelming. 
But one of the things that really struck me, I remember when I was watching this, is that the people competing in these competitions are not overweight at all. They just look like, you know, they, they're not obese, they just, whatever, they look like kind of uh, healthy people. And there's a picture of this guy I'll have up on the screen uh, who won the competition this past year, and he actually uh, made, like, holds multiple world records for a hot dog eating competition. I'll have it up on the screen uh, in a second for you, but his name is Joey Chestnut, and yes, that is his real name, you can look it up. But he won the world record this past year by eating 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. The max I've probably eaten is like five. I don't even know. You don't even want to look at how, kind of how he did it. But again, one thing that just struck me is I expected him to be this super just big, obese guy. But he's not that at all. And as we think about just the sin of gluttony and as we explore it and we're going to look into it, you know, it, it, for me, it, it makes me think of just so many misunderstandings we have about this sin. One, just that so often we assume that it's a sin about being like overly obese when it's actually not a sin that it's about body weight at all. It has nothing to do with that. And it's even the kind of sin that is easy to keep hidden from other people. It's not a sin that's always visible to those around us. Uh, and even more than that, you know, the, the sin of gluttony has all, is closely connected to food, and for good reason, and we'll get into that. But the sin is even more than just about eating too much food. It's much bigger than it, that, and it applies even to different areas of all of our lives, and it takes root in a way that can look different for each of us. So as we look at the sin of gluttony, I want to just start off, uh, before we get into scripture, I want to start off by sharing uh, maybe a helpful way to think about this sin as we think about what it means just in general to consume or to indulge in something. The first way we often think about consuming something is consuming too much of something bad, right? Whether that's junk food or alcohol or cocaine or whatever it is, right? Uh, and the hopefully you don't have the problem, but yeah, it's just things that are really bad, whatever, the, whatever comes to mind for you. Uh, but the second thing that we often, you know, that, that's maybe a little more su subtle when we think about what it means to consume too much of something is to when we consume too much of something that's good. This is really what the sin of gluttony is all about. It's not just overindulging in something that we know is inherently bad for us and is going to lead to unhealth, but more that it's, it's about something that's actually created for us to enjoy and that we should actually see as a gift to us. And this sin of gluttony gets hold of us in a way that we indulge too much of something good. This is really kind of important for us to remember and to keep in the back of our heads as we go through this because a lot of times when we think about gluttony, one of the mistakes that we make is that we can think that gluttony is just about, uh, we actually mistake things that God created as good and see them as bad. Whether that's, you know, our bodies or food or whatever else it is, that we make the mistake of thinking that those things are bad and that's why that they should be avoided. But the sin of gluttony particularly, is what takes root when we actually overindulge in something that's supposed to be a blessing to us, a gift to us. And by doing that, by kind of letting this sin take root, we actually ruin the blessing. And in the Bible, uh, it gives us lots of wisdom and just even warnings about the dangers of the sin of gluttony. And I want us to look, just start off by looking at a proverb that teaches us just about this basic principle of eating too much of something good. This is what the, the proverb says. 
It says, if you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. A simple lesson here, right? How many of you, as you read that, you'd say, like, this is true? This is common sense. It makes sense to me. And, you know, some of you maybe even kind of know this from experience. Maybe you had too much honey. I don't know. I'm more of a maple syrup guy myself, so I've never... Anyway, uh, but I think, you know, in generally, kind of when we look at that, we would, we would all agree, like, yes, this principle makes sense, and it's usually something we will even kind of teach or pass on to our kids, right? especially when young kids who are getting to the point where they're enjoying something sweet. We'll tell them, don't eat too much of it, or you'll get sick. And part of the reason why we have to teach this to our kids is because as they're maturing in the early stage of maturity, they don't know that self-control or just naturally what it means to show restraint. And so it's our job to teach them that. But for some reason, I find just we pass on this basic principle to our kids, but there's something that kind of seems to happen when we think about our own lives as adults, that overindulgence is just as much a problem for each of us, right? That it's not something, that it's something that we actually do all the time. And even as we get older, it's just that the candy or the honey looks different for us. I think for most of us, if we're honest, we actually even look even for opportunities to overindulge, to relish those moments between maybe obvious responsibilities where we can just let it all go. We can just show no restraint. Like we relish those moments to just go overboard at an all-you-can-eat buffet or to binge on Netflix as long as we can or to take full advantage of an open bar at a wedding or whatever else it is. And often, I find, I find this even in my own life, that we'll actually justify those moments by saying, like, I deserve it, or I earned this, this moment to do this. It doesn't matter if it hurts me later or if I ignore my children the next day because I deserve this. Now, I want to be careful here when I, when I say that, because okay? I'm not saying that there aren't moments to really just enjoy and to celebrate something and to kind of enjoy those breaks or those moments of race, the rest, to really just fully enjoy something well, and that's meant to be enjoyed. But so often, when we think about, you know, we, we often just go to the absolute extreme. And we think that if we don't go to the stream, it almost doesn't count as something that we enjoyed. Like, if I didn't go too far, did it even happen? Right? So often we think that. Did I really even enjoy it at all? And we say things like expressions like go big or go home or YOLO, which is not one that I use, but some of you use that. Uh, and when gluttony, I think, really sets in, we even start to see overindulgence as a sign of blessing in our lives. We see it almost as this sign or this mark that we think when we think about it or we'll even brag about it, about how many kind of unnecessary things we bought or how much we overate at a party or how many unworn pairs of shoes we own or whatever else it is. Like it's this, almost this badge of, of blessing to us. But the problem is when we overindulge in something and we abuse the resources that we have, we actually distort that blessing in our lives. We abuse the blessings and the gifts we've been given, and by doing this, we turn something that's good for us, something like honey that's meant to be enjoyed, into something that's harmful. At the root of the sin of gluttony, and if you're taking notes uh, on a you know, notepad or on your phone, you can write this down, that the sin of gluttony is the sin of abusing the gifts and the blessings that God gives us. It's the sin of abusing the blessing that God has given us. 
And there's this moment in the Bible we're going to look at that's in the Old Testament when God's people really fall into this sin of gluttony by abusing the blessings that God has given them. And uh, we don't have time to go through all of this story. It's a long story, and you can go and read it yourself. It's in uh, Exodus chapter 16, but we're going to walk through uh, different parts of it here. And it's this moment where God has just delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, like just a few weeks earlier. And now they're being led by Moses and Aaron in the desert as they learn to walk with God and to trust in him. And the amazing thing that happens in this story that we're going to look at is that God decide, he decides he's going to provide uh, f- for them food from heaven okay, that they're going to call manna. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression before, things don't just fall out of the sky. Well, in this, this moment, things actually fall out of the sky, okay, because of God. And uh, as we look at this story, the first thing you need to know, and we have it up on the screen, that uh, how this almost moment begins is that the people complain. Right away, the people are complaining before God even does this thing. And here's what happens. It says, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around, pots filled with meat, and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve to death. Talk about like an exaggerated complaint, right? So within just, like think about it, just within weeks of God saving them and delivering them from slavery, they begin to complain that because they're hungry, they actually wish they were back in Egypt where they could have their fill, even if it meant they died there. Now, can you imagine just the nerve of this? Can you imagine what God is thinking as they they complain this complaint to him? Like, I just miraculously saved you from being beaten and from being overworked and despised in Egypt and already you don't trust that I'm going to provide for you just because you're hungry? Like, that's, that's what leads to this complaint? But as we think about this, what we're seeing is that already this sin of gluttony is taking root in their hearts because they want more of God's blessings without more of God. They're separating the blessings of God they want to enjoy from what it means to trust in the God who provides for them and who walks with them. They're wanting God to bless them without actually learning what it means to follow him and to trust that he's always faithful and to trust even that he's actually the God who wants to provide for them in new, in better ways, in ways that they can't even imagine. This is, I think, what happens for each of us when the sin of gluttony really starts to settle into our hearts. It's that we stop trusting how God's going to provide for us or how he wants to provide for us. So we begin seeking God's blessings in a way that we actually distance him uh, as the source of all blessing. We we distance him from those blessings and as the one who provides for us. But even after these people complain, this is one of the amazing things about this story, is that God is so gracious in wanting to teach them to trust him and to help them recognize that he is faithful, that he's still going to provide for them in a way that's totally unexpected to them. This is what it says that he does, or that he says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down from heaven, food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day of the week, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, they will, there will be twice as much as usual, so they have enough for the next day. 
And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. For he has heard all your complaints against him. The amazing thing about God, that even after all these people complain, God still provides for them in just a new and a completely unexpected way that not only meets their needs, but that we read it, it totally satisfies them. And as he provides this gift, Moses and Aaron here are trying to help them understand that their focus shouldn't be on the blessings themselves, but their focus should be on the Lord as the one who is providing and caring for them. And so as God gives them this food, he also uh, gives them some clear instructions for how to steward, steward that gift well. So he tells them two different things. He tells them that each day that they gather up the food, they're to dig just the amount that they need for the day. And the second thing that he says is that uh, he also tells them that on the sixth day of the week, there will be twice as much food for them so that they won't have to go out and gather on the seighth day. But even after God starts raining down this food um, from heaven for the people to go out, they right away, they ruin this blessing. They, they completely ignore those two instructions. Right away, they start to really do two things that reveal that the sin of gluttony has really gripped their hearts. The first thing they do is they start to hoard the food. They start to take more than they need, and they hoard the food, hoping to keep it for the next day. And the second thing is they go out and they look for more food than they actually need. Here's, here's what it says that happens. It says, Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. Okay, that's the instruction, the first instruction. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it till morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And then it says some of the people went out. This is the second thing they did. They went out on the seventh day, but they had no food. And the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. So the, re- the sin of gluttony really takes root even deeper in them in two different ways here. Again, the first thing they do is they abuse God's blessings by beginning to hoard it. And in the process, it goes completely to waste. It develops maggots and uh, it, it just completely gets ruined. And the second way they abuse the blessing is by going out and they actually go and look for more food on the seventh day, even after they've already been given all they need on the sixth day for those two days. They look for more than they need. This is one of the things that happens for us when gluttony takes root in us. Our own appetites become distorted in a way that we can no longer even discern when we've had enough. And we begin to crave and to consume more than we actually need. And at the same time, what can happen is we develop in us an anxiety that tells us we need to hoard or stockpile more than we actually need. And the sin of gluttony, as we think about it, is so magnified in our world as we think about the pressures of consumerism, right? That we live in a world that is all about consuming. Consumerism is this thing that's built on getting us to overindulge whenever and wherever possible. In fact, even marketing, just in general, is built on this idea of convincing us that not only everything we see in an ad is something that we should really want, but that it's something that we actually need, We live in a culture that's addicted to excess, that's built on the lie that we need more and more of something in order to be truly happy or truly satisfied. And because of this, our appetites have become insatiable for so many things. 
We can no longer discern when we've had enough or when to show restraint. And at the same time, again, just like the people of Israel, this creates in us sort of a scarcity mentality. It's the lie that we always need more creates this anxiety in us that if we don't get more food or if we don't get more sleep or more clothes or whatever it is, that something almost must be wrong, right? We start to hoard or stockpile things we don't actually need. We buy more of this and more of that and store it away and put it in our cupboards, convincing ourselves that we're really going to need it to get through that week or to get through the year or, or how it survive just in the long term. And in the end, what inevitably happens is that just like for the people of Israel who spoil the bread, all that excess in our lives actually goes to waste. I don't know about you, but I can think of just so many times I go into my garage, into our cupboards or whatever it is, and I find something there that at the time I thought that I really needed, but that sat so long that now the technology is completely obsolete or it's gathered mold somewhere, or it's broken just while it's lived in its box and I've never opened it. That's just been sitting there. This is what happens when we overindulge and we abuse God's blessings. Now, don't get me wrong, I want to be careful when I say that, that I'm not saying that saving or storing anything in general is a bad thing. And in fact, learning to save for the right things and in the right ways is actually one of the ways we're called to be wise and to steward the gifts that God gives to us. But the sin of gluttony is very different than that. The sin of gluttony, and when this takes root in our hearts, as it did for the people of God in the desert, we go from saving wisely to hoarding wastefully. Gluttony is the sin of abusing God's gifts that shapes us in a way that we consume so many things that we no longer even hunger for the things of God. And in the process, we miss just new and different ways that he actually wants to provide for us and ways that he's calling to tr us to trust him, even in those moments where we don't see how he's going to provide. As you think about that and as you think about this sin in your li own life, what are the things in your life that you find maybe you turn to in place of God? What areas of your life do you find maybe you're always wanting more and more of something but never feel satisfied? This week, as you think about that, what would it even look like just to take some time to pause and to slow down and even pray and to ask God to pay attention to the kinds of things you find yourself turning to, to ask God to reveal those things to you that you, you turn to instead of trusting in how God wants to provide for you. As we think about the, the sin of gluttony, the last way I want to really uh, help us to pay attention to how it gets hold of us is that when we abuse God's blessings, not only does it bend our appetites in a way that keeps us from trusting in God's provision and keeps, makes us want more and more, but we also stop paying attention to how he wants to bless others. This is such an important principle for, for us to think about whenever we think about just the idea of blessing. That God's blessing for us is always connected to how he wants to bless others through us. Let me say that again, that God's blessing for us is always connected to how he wants to bless others through us. Years ago, uh, my family and I were 
visiting a friend. We were staying over at their house, and uh, they were very generous just in, their kids were grown up, empty house, and uh, just letting us kind of stay over there and use some of the bedrooms. And one of the rooms that we stayed in was their son's room who was all grown up and who'd moved out of the house. Uh, but the problem with this room is it was a hoarder room, okay? There was just, it was just full of stuff. And, uh, you know, if you've ever kind of seen a room like that or stayed in, in a place like that, you'll know when the problem, and the problem for us as we tried to stay there was there was no room really to, to spend time in that, in that space. And not only did he have like just little toys and kind of useless things that he would never use just all over any of the surfaces, but there were even like little whatever, Mickey Mouse things or whatever, lining the bed frame and at the bottom of the bed. Now, he probably wasn't as bad, like some people can be a lot worse, but it was bad enough that what happened was that not only was he, like all of this stuff just junk and kind of useless now, but it made no room for the guests who wanted to stay in that room. There was no room for us to, the kids to share a bed or for us to even sit and read next to them. And, you know, this is such an image of what happens when we think about even how the sin of gluttony grips our hearts and what happens to us even spiritually that not only does it shape our appetites in a way that it abuses God's gifts, but it also leaves no room to bless others. The sin of gluttony consumes us in a way that we stop paying attention to how he, God wants to bless others through us, and instead we begin to neglect those around us. This is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul addresses in the New Testament in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. Paul finds out that some of the people at this church have actually been abusing the gift of communion, the Lord's table. Paul finds out that some of the people at this church have been abusing this, and because of this, they've actually been neglecting the needs of those around them. And here's what Paul writes. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians. And this is what he says. It says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. This is so crazy, but so important for us to consider as we think about our own lives. That there are some in the church who have let gluttony so grip their hearts that they're even abusing the gift of communion, of the sacred meal. That gluttony has shaped them in such a way that they're abusing this meal that is such a central part of their worship. And so they're rushing to eat instead of thinking of others at the table, and it's actually causing others to go hungry. That because of their actions, they're twisting this blessing from something that's meant to be seen as a blessing that's, that's there to share with others into something that they're consuming instead at the expense of others. These warnings in this letter from Paul really teach us as well that the gift of gluttony is never just a personal or private sin. When it sets in, it always shapes and forms us in a way that we begin to hurt and ignore others. And we have so many examples of this in our world. When we think especially just of the systemic effects of the damage caused by the sin of gluttony, as we think about abuses in the clothing industry with sweatshops and cheap labor, or as we think about just overconsumption and the abuses that happen in the food industry, or just in general, the, the, the large economic imbalance in our world that's caused by overconsumption. 
and we wrestle with what, do, what can we even do about that and how do we engage in that. But along with these systemic issues, issues, we all also all do this just in many little ways in our own lives as well. We have times where we make sure our own desires will be met before we think of those around us. Whether it's maybe sleeping in too long at the expense of our kids, or watching Netflix late into the night that, or even during the day that we don't help out around the house, or buying so many clothes or tools or gadgets that there's not enough to learn to be generous with our giving, or staying up so late on social media that we don't have time for anybody the next day, or even ignoring our family at home or at the dinner table because we can't put our phones down. I know I've been guilty of most of those. And over this Lent season, as we learn to pay attention to the sin of gluttony and how it gets hold of us and keeps us from the things and from the people that actually matter, one important biblical practice to consider that I just want to quickly introduce you to is the spiritual practice of fasting. Now, if you've never heard of fasting before, but likely you have as it's gained popularity in our culture, mostly as a way to just to be healthy, just to lose weight or to sleep better or to gain more energy. And, uh, you know, I've actually, none of those are bad things. I've actually practiced fasting in this way myself. But the biblical and spiritual practice of fasting is much more than that. It's actually not about dieting from bad things, but about limiting ourselves for a time from the consumption of good things in order to recognize our ultimate need and longing for more of God, to recognize that he's the one who nourishes us. Fasting is a way of, of making room in our hearts for the things of God. And when you fast, it often reveals those things that control you those things that you want more and more of, those things that you're prone to crave and to turn to and depend on in place of a longing and a hunger for more of God and for the ways that he wants to provide for you. And historically, in the church, fasting has been something that Christians practiced in connection to communion, that they would fast before taking communion as a way of remembering when we come to the table that Jesus is the only one who can truly nourish us. He's the one who can truly satisfy us. So maybe this, for you, for this Lent season, as we head towards Easter, this will be a, a season maybe where you consider fasting for the first time, if you've never tried it before. And it doesn't have to be something big. You can start off really small, just by fasting from one meal of the day. Or even fasting from your phone, putting your phone down for a few hours. And yet even just as you do that, to use that time to pray. And to ask God to help you pay attention to the things that grip your heart and to the things and the, the needs of the people around you. You know, a really practical thing that you can do while you fast is that as you think about maybe just the, the time or even the money that fasting will free up from the thing that you're fasting for, that you could use that to learn to just serve or to be more generous in your giving. Maybe it's even just in that time that you fast to call a friend or to encourage them by sending them a, an encouraging text or, or note. In a world that's so shaped by consumerism, that tells us we can never have enough, or that we let so much go to waste because of our overindulgence, fasting, I think, is one of the most important practices we can embrace as followers of Jesus. In a world that tells us we should say yes more all the time, more gifts, more blessings, more material goods, that it's so countercultural to simply learn to be those who learn moments to say no. 
to learn to say no to overindulging in things that ultimately don't matter, and to learn to say more yes to more of the things of God. To pay attention even to the needs of others and to those who long to experience God's love for them. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to just end with these words from Jesus that he says to his disciples, teaching them about the thing that really feeds their souls and fulfills the deepest longings of their hearts. Here's what he says. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus here takes this moment to remind and teach his disciples that God the Father is the only one who is always faithful in providing for their needs since the time even that he gave bread from heaven to his people in the desert. And Jesus tells his disciples that now God is preparing them for another kind of gift that only he can provide, which is the gift as he goes to give up everything on the cross. In a couple weeks, as we are, have been living in this Lent season, in a couple weeks uh, will be Good Friday. And we'll gather together as a church to take communion together and to remember this gift and the sacrifice of Jesus as he gave up his own body and his own blood so that we would experience God's blessing. We'll take communion together, and as we're called to even do regularly, we'll be reminded that this is something we could never provide for ourselves that it's something we can never earn or that we can never grab or take from ourselves, but that can only be something that we receive with open hands. And that it's the only gift that can ever really truly satisfy our deepest longings in our hearts. This Good Friday, would you even, as you think about even fasting in this season, would you also just mark your calendar for this Good Friday to really make it a priority to gather together as we take communion, as we gather around the Lord's table to remember this gift of the cross that reminds us and teaches us about God's provision for us. And as we take communion together to pay attention, to even pray for those who aren't yet at the table, to pray for those who haven't yet tasted of the goodness of God and his grace and his provision for us. Because when we gather together, receive the gift of communion together, we should always remember that God is blessing us. It's a sign of God's blessing to then go out and bless others. As a church, we never want to be so focused on our own preferences or so focused on chasing after more and more of things that just ultimately don't matter that we would stop praying and paying attention to how God is blessing us to see how we're now a blessing to those around us and to how he's calling us to use our gifts and resources to find new ways to even bless our community and share about the gift of Jesus. So I'm just going to now, as we close, invite you to stand and uh, just pray as the team plays quietly behind us. Let's pray together.
God, as we think about your faithfulness and what it means to just learn that you are the God who always provides. We thank you that just, that in your mercy, even when we complain or we grumble or we chase after the wrong things, that even when we consume more of the things that harm us or hurt us, that still, God, you provide. That you give us the gift of the cross. That you gave us the gift that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't take from ourselves, but that we can only learn to receive. God, as we think about your faithfulness, would you help us even as we go this week to pay attention to the areas of our lives, to the things in our hearts that have gripped us by the sin of gluttony in a way that we are chasing those things in place of hungering for more of you. As we think of just areas maybe where we've abused even the blessings that you've given us that have caused us to miss how you want to provide in new and fresh ways for us. God, as we surrender those things, help us to trust in your provision in the ways that even as we consider this sin that you want us to experience your freedom. And God, as we learn to surrender this, we also pray that you would use us, that you would use the blessings that you give us to shape us in a way that we learn to be more generous to those around us, to give of our time and our gifts and our resources to those who have not yet tasted of your goodness and of your love that we would be those who model what it means to not put our trust in consuming all those other things, but in trusting that you fill, fulfill our deepest desires and our longings. God, as we even think about just this Lent season and the things coming up, God, would you continue just to, to prepare us as we consider even the, the practice of learning to fast and to say no to things in order to say yes to more of you. And so be with us. Would you even just give us the courage to do that as we go from here? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. Before you go, I just want to mention, uh, one, we have just a prayer team who's available in a prayer space. If you felt disturbed to pray for some of the things we learned about today or even something else going on. Uh, and just another note, again, save the date for Good Friday. But next Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week for us that we celebrate as a church and enter in together. So next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So just uh, encourage you to come out as we learn about what that means and how to enter that time. Thanks so much, everyone, for being with us uh, this morning. We'll see you next week.